0: Let us pray. Father, come among us even now by your spirit and mold us and shape us. Fill us with your presence and your peace in this season. And Lord, strengthen us and renew us by the truth of your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We'll be looking at our gospel reading from John chapter 4, so if you have your devices with scripture on them or your Bible, or if you want to take out a pew Bible, I'd encourage you to do that and go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. And I do want to thank all of you very sincerely for the many ways that you've expressed support and concern and for your prayers for my family and for me and Tammy and Eliana, my mom, my sister, and everyone with the passing of my dad a week and a half ago and also, thank you for your flexibility that I could be up there and be with him um, when he went to be with the Lord and then stay with my mom until after the funeral. So we sincerely thank all of you for your prayers and for your many expressions of concern and support. Thank you. Looking, <coughs> looking at our gospel reading this morning, how many of you know when God touches us, when he answers our prayers, when he intervenes, when he heals us? When he blesses us in some other way, with that blessing comes a responsibility. The responsibility is for us to tell others about Jesus and what he has done in our lives. Who he is and what he does. And a personal testimony is of incredible value. People love a good story, but they especially love one that is true And that is life changing. Most of our sermon time will focus on the latter part of today's gospel reading, which is the story of someone whose life was changed by Jesus, a Samaritan woman. And this Samaritan woman encounters Jesus at Jacob's well in the middle of the day. Verse 6 tells us that it was the sixth hour that's likely around noon. We also know that this woman came to the well alone. Which was also unusual in cultures of that day, including Samaritan culture. Women typically went to the nearby well or spring in groups first of all, and typically, typically they would do this at a, at a time of the day that was either early or late, rather than during the midday heat. That this woman came alone, and in the heat of the day, is probably an indication of how she was viewed in the community that she had a disreputable image, and she wasn't someone with whom upstanding and honorable women in the community wanted to be associated. They didn't even want to be seen with her. She came for drinking water, but she encountered Jesus who gave her living water. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me of John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Her life is transformed through this encounter with Jesus. And as we look at this passage, we see that there is a response and responsibility. We'll look first at the Samaritan woman or woman, then at Jesus, and then at his disciples in this account in terms of response and responsibility. First, the Samaritan woman. This woman serves as a wonderful example for us. She experiences a life-transforming encounter with Jesus. And she immediately goes and tells what has happened to the people of her village. Look at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. The degree of her sense of urgency comes through in that she even left her water jar there at the well as she hurried back to town. And obviously she has gotten people's attention. Think about the stir that it would have caused. The attention grabber it was for this woman, this woman of all persons, to come running into town telling this kind of story of events that had just taken place. And her response is the same kind of response that each of us should have when we encounter Jesus, when we experience the transforming power of God in our lives. And when God answers specific prayers, we should have the same kind of story. And we have, brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to tell people what Jesus has done in our lives and what he can and will do in the lives of other people if they will just surrender themselves to him. And this telling should not be a burden. It should be a joy. It should be a joy for us to tell people, to share. And it raises the question, why wouldn't we tell others about the wonderful things that Jesus has done in our lives? And when we do that, when people both hear and see, mark that, hear and see the difference Jesus has made and is making in our lives, many of them, too, will want to come to Jesus. Note that they need to both hear and see. So if we're telling people about what Jesus has done and we lie and we steal and we cheat on our job or we do disreputable things in the community and our testimony doesn't match up with the reality of our lives, we discredit the Lord and bring reproach on his name. But we are presented with a wonderful opportunity, even in this season. Even as our community is filled with anxiety about the coronavirus. Yes, we want to be prudent. We want to be responsible. We want to be cautious. But we are not to be filled with fear. And by letting our neighbors and our community see that we have God's peace that passes understanding, that transcends earthly human circumstances. As, God, as we, as God's people, allow that light to shine, people will be drawn to Jesus through what they see in us, even at this time. God has placed us here for such a time as this. And God will use us to stir that God-given longing in the hearts of others For the living water that only comes through Jesus. Then we look at Jesus. Now while all of this was going on in the village. We have this side conversation. That takes place between Jesus and his disciples. In verses 31 through 38. And these verses also speak to us. From a slightly different tact. About responding to God's call. And about the responsibility that we have. And we see this both through Jesus' example, the example of his life, and what Jesus says to his disciples. The disciples are concerned that Jesus isn't eating. And Jesus' response in verse 34 is quite clear. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus emphatically tells his disciples this, because it's a matter of priorities. And for Jesus, the priority was to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And that meant for Jesus, the son of God, to fulfill his purpose, his mission, in obedience to the call and the will of the father. And Jesus is single-minded in his sense of calling a purpose at all costs. Finishing his father's work for Jesus meant going all the way to and enduring the torture of the cross for you and for me. That's why Jesus could cry out, it is finished, that is his last words on the cross before before he bowed his head and died in John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus' example was for his disciples in that day. And Jesus' example is for us now. And Jesus' example calls us to have the right priorities in life. That's really what this season of Lent is all about. It's about setting things aside of this world, maybe not just temporarily, but permanently. Not just because of going through the motions, because it's a liturgical season, but because we set things aside of this world so that we make more space for the work of God in our lives. And Lent is about a realignment or more fully aligning the priorities of our lives with the heart and the priorities of God and his kingdom. And allowing God to speak that into us and by his spirit speaking to us to align us more fully with his will and his plans and his purposes. Sometimes we get caught up in this whole idea about just getting things done, doing things rather than starting with being. And when we start at that place and we come up with the priorities on our own, we develop them on our own out of the weakness of the flesh, even if they are priorities for God, but they're birthed in us rather than by the Spirit of God working in us, they'll be devoid of God's power and they won't be fully and truly aligned with God's kingdom priorities. But when we, by the Spirit and the grace of God at work in us, align our lives so that we live with right priorities that are infused with God's power, there is no limit to what He will and can do in and through us. Jesus gives us a beautiful example of this. Then we have the disciples. Because after speaking of his own example, Jesus then shifts to his disciples and speaks a challenge to them in verses 35 through 38. Look at those verses with me. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. All of the Old Testament points to what Jesus is speaking of here. Beginning with his first coming and continuing all the way until his return The spiritual sowing and the harvest will be great. And no longer is this a time of sowing and planting and harvesting followed by a time of rest before another harvest. Because now, as we read here, sowing and harvesting in abundance should be the norm. The prophet Amos foretold this, Centuries before, where we read in Amos 9.13, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Even the scripture from John we're looking at this morning, we see the harvest going beyond the Jewish community to Samaritans. And just a little further along in the book of Acts, as we've read so many times, even from Acts chapter 1, we see the gospel being sown and the harvest being reaped among the Gentiles and even to the ends of the earth. Sowing and reaping. Now taking place simultaneously. The plowman overtaking the reaper as Amos prophesied. And Jesus says to his disciples in that day, open your eyes and look at the fields. And Jesus is saying to you and me as his disciples today, open your eyes, look to the fields. The fields around us are ripe for harvest. The fields in this season, even as we face Something of a somewhat of a calamity with this coronavirus, the fields are ripe for harvest. Let's not miss the opportunity, brothers and sisters. There are people who are ripe for coming to Jesus, there are people whose eyes are being opened even through a difficult circumstance, such as we're facing right now. And just like when the Samaritan woman went and told them they came. And when we share and tell and model the life of Jesus in us, some of those around us will really and truly come as well. And it's not just about hearing me. it's not just about growing this congregation. That will happen too, as God leads us. There's sowing, there's reaping, and there's sowing. And we can't simply be concerned about being the ones who are the reapers, even though God calls us to that. Look at verse 38 again. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their laborer. Their labor, excuse me. We need to be about sowing as well. And we are all beneficiaries of those who have sown. Even those who haven't lived to see the resulting harvest. In our lives, in the life of this church, in the outreach that we do and the witness we have even here in this community and wherever God takes us as members of this church, so often we are building on on seeds that other people have sown and we see them come to fruition. And we're to reap, but we're also to continue sowing. When God has changed our lives, When the transforming work of Jesus is evident in our lives and we're experiencing that as a reality, we have a responsibility to tell others about this Jesus and who he is and what he will do. And then finally, hearing needs to be followed by accepting verses 39 through 42. they came because of the woman's testimony they came because of the transforming work of jesus that was so evident in her life her life most of us came to jesus at least in part because of the witness of others because of what we saw in the life of someone else a family member a friend a coworker someone from school but it still requires that personal embrace That personal embrace must take place so that we no longer believe only because of what somebody else said. But now we believe for ourselves and know the reality of the transforming work of Jesus in our own lives. That has to be the starting point. If you've never arrived to that, today is the day. Today is the day. And for those of us who've experienced that transformation and we're living out the reality of that ongoing transformation, God calls us to tell. And God calls us to be transformed by his power. He calls us to tell with full knowledge that Jesus knows all about us. He knows our stories, our joys, our hopes, our dreams. He knows our struggles, our sins. He knows the things done in secret. He really does know every detail of our lives, every detail of the story. And just like he did for that Samaritan woman, he wants to keep on writing in our lives. He wants to write the first chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter. So that the story of our lives is the story of his transforming power and grace. For us as believers, he wants to continue writing new chapters all the way until he calls us to be with him for all of eternity. And he wants to write that in volumes, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those he touches through us, person after person after person, as people are added to his kingdom in this community and around the world through our story, through our testimony, through our witness in our actions and in our words of just who this Jesus is, what he has done, and what he is willing and more than able to do in the lives of others for the glory of his name. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your all-sufficient grace. Thank you for your transforming power at work in our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ and at work in this church and in our community. I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that you would give us eyes of the Spirit to see the harvest and that the fields are ripe and that for so many today, this season is the day of salvation. Lord, fill us with your presence. Fill us with your peace, your peace that passes understanding, that the light of the gospel and the light of your church would shine bright in the darkness in this season for your praise and honor and glory. And this we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.